Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Dr. John 316 Marshall is a man that I met just over 20 years ago at a breakfast table for a job interview. I would later take that job and serve under his leadership for five years. In that time, the Lord did a great work in both my heart and Kristen's heart to grow us and to grow us up, both both personally and in ministry and for um, the work of the gospel. Uh, Dr. Marshall, better known as just pastor, uh, has been a man who has demonstrated a deep love for the Lord, a deep love for his word, and a deep love for the people of God. And you are very likely to hear him say, holiness matters most today. I've seen him not only say that multiple times, but live it out consistently throughout the 20 years that I've known him. You're going to experience that today as he ministers among you. I pray that today you will receive what he has to say with glad and joyful hearts. And I pray most of all that you will welcome he and his wife, Ruth, Uh, warmly give them that distinctive life point touch today so that when they leave this place having ministered the gospel they too will be blessed helped and encouraged in the gospel and in the name of our lord jesus christ so give him a warm welcome this morning and i'll see you next week god bless thank you It, it is so good to be with you we're so thrilled I was pastor at Second for 22 years, and in those 22 years, we started 55 churches, and yours was one of the first, and we did a terrible job. It was awful. I have apologized. Looks to me like you you did really good, actually. Yeah, they did good, but but the way we started, it was terrible, and I've apologized to Lane over and over. He still laughs about it. We just didn't know what we were doing back then. We were doing the best we could. And just to be here today and see some of the results of years of ministry is very helpful to us. Watching Lane and Christian go out, they did it on their own with some of you who came from second, not many. You started just basically from scratch and you took this thing and God has, through you, done a remarkable and amazing work. One of the most amazing churches in our area is Life Point. And it's because God has done a good work upon you and we are so grateful for you. Now today, turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Now, back in the old days, I'd call out the text and I'd hear pages rustling. Now with all these computers, even my wife has forsaken me. Now with all these modern technologies, you don't have that noise. I'm going to develop a Bible app that as you're finding the passage, it goes while you're doing it. So I still get that old feeling. We're in the middle of a series called Conversion, Jesus Changes Everything. This is the fourth message in a series from the Sermon on the Mount. My assignment is one of the least famous parts of the Sermon on the Mount. You've already looked at three ways that Jesus changes everything. The whole whole Sermon on the Mount hinges on one verse, Matthew 5, 20, which says, unless your righteousness exceeds that, of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. 
And so the whole sermon is the contrast between how the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus, they very legalistic. How did they perceive their religion? And then here comes Jesus, and he changes everything. You've already looked at anger and murder, how he changed that. Adultery and lust, you looked at that. And then last Sunday, you heard Elaine's excellent exposition of uh, divorce and how to deal with that, and how Jesus changed the world's attitude toward divorce. Now today, not a well-known passage, but an important passage, how Jesus changed oaths, taking vows. Very interesting. My sweet Ruthie, she reads the scripture for me and prays before I preach. And so I've asked her to do that. So Ruthie, would you come and read the scriptures for us and pray for me? I'm reading from Matthew chapter 5, beginning at 33. Will you please stand in respect for God's word, which we read? You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, or you can't turn one hair white or black. Amen to that. Okay. Moving right along. <clears throat> Just say a simple yes or no, and anything beyond that is from the evil one. Just say a simple yes or no, anything beyond that is from the evil one. Let us pray. Father, we are so honored to stand here in, amongst your people in this city that you have given us to be a light to shine in. May we live in such a way that when we say yes or when we say our simple no, it stands firm because of the honesty in our hearts and our lives and our commitment to you and to holiness. I pray for John this morning as he preaches, Lord, that his words and expressions will be those straight from your heart, that we will see your love for this whole world, your love for the ones that are not here today your love for the ones that we left behind to come. I love you, Lord. You are a beautiful Savior. Amen. You are a great God. You are almighty, and you deserve our very best. Give us a heart that loves like you, ears that hear like you, and hands that touch like yours. In your holy, precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the scribes and Pharisees had a great teaching. 
The teaching was that if you swear by God, if you make a vow and you call God as a witness, that you have to fulfill it. In fact, the Old Testament is very clear about this. If you take an oath, a vow before God and say God is my witness or by God or whatever you would do, if you swear by God, if you did not fulfill your vow, then you have taken God's name in vain and that's a violation of one of the Ten Commandments. So that was valid. The scribes and Pharisees said that and that's true. That was a good thing to say. But here's what they did. They took that and then said, but now, if you will take an oath or swear by something other than God, then you don't have to keep that vow. You see how they took the, the good and made it bad. They'd make these great promises of what they're going to swear by, and what they vow and what they promise by, but because they had not done it by God, they had perfected the art of lying. They'd made a craft of it, almost a hobby of it. They knew how to do it. And here comes Jesus who changes everything, who has a righteousness greater than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Here comes Jesus, and he just cuts right through that chicanery. And he says, no, if you're my follower, if you're a follower of Jesus, there are no distinctions between words that should be true and words that do not have to be true. For the believer, every word, every statement has to be truth. The Christian standard is absolute. Our word must be as good as our bond. So Jesus sliced through the subterfuge, hammered away at the deception, and he said, now let me tell you the best way to do. The best way to be is swear not at all. Don't ever make a vow. Don't ever hold your hand up and say, I swear or I promise, whatever. Now, we know that Jesus was not doing away with all vows and all oaths because he takes time to clarify what he means. He talks about what it means to swear by heaven and earth and Jerusalem and one's own head. So scripture allows the using of oaths. You're allowed by the Bible to take oaths. Very clear. We need to deal with that. There are three ways, three parameters, three borders within which you are allowed to make an oath according to the Scriptures. Number one, you're allowed to make an oath on a solemn occasion. In Revelation 10, 5, the angel lifted up his right hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever. The Apostle Paul swore an oath. Five times. That's right. Five times the apostle swore an oath. God is my witness. God is the witness to my soul. God knows I am not lying. Before God I lie not. God is my record. Five times. Now, when you do make an oath, you better make sure you're not playing a game here. When you take a vow before God, it's a very serious matter because you have now called God down into human dealings. And when you make a vow or an oath that you've called God into, be wise, my friend. Do what you said you'd do. That's number one. Number two, you are allowed to do an oath if somebody asks you to do so. Isn't that interesting? That's a very interesting thing. Um, lying is so prevalent that the writer of the psalm says, all men are liars. That's pretty straightforward. Uh, and because it is so common among us, sometimes the other person wants a little extra assurance. You don't need any more assurance. 
It doesn't matter if you take an oath or not. You're going to tell the truth. But they may need something. Hebrews chapter 6 says an oath confirms the matter and settles the dispute. So if someone asks you, would you swear to that? Sure. Not because I need it. Uh, my word is true. Whether I hold my hand up, put my hand on the Bible, swear by God, don't swear by God. So if you need it, I will say it. This is what Jesus did. Jesus before the high priest, the high priest adjured him, A-D-J-U-R-E-D. The high priest adjured him, which means put him under oath. You could not plead the Fifth Amendment in the Bible. So Jesus now had to tell the truth. He had to speak it. He had to say it out loud. He'd been very quiet, hadn't said much. But when the high priest adjured him, put him under the oath, then he told, yes, he was the Son of God. So it's okay for you to go to the witness stand, put your hand on the Bible, raise your hand up, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, whatever. It's okay for the President of the United States uh, because uh, George Washington uh, raised his hand and then at the end, he did not end with what the Constitution said. He added the words, so help me God, and every president since has always finished their uh, vows with, so help me God, which means, may God never help me again if I have lied in what I have just said and promised. So that's number two. Now, the third way that you are allowed to take an oath is if you undertake it as an act of worship. That's just really good. Now, as you stand before somebody and say, I want you to know, you don't think I'm going to tell the truth. But God is my witness. I'm going to speak the truth. And so then when you keep your word, they're so surprised, maybe in some difficult situation, the Lord receives great honor and glory. Now, the truth is that for a believer, every promise that you've ever made was an oath. A vow before God. You live in the presence of God. God lives in your heart. You have to have a righteousness that's better than the scribes and the Pharisees. And the righteousness of God has been put in you. And so here you live in his presence. You walk in his presence. You are constantly. Everything that you say is a vow or an oath. Now that's what he was saying to the scribes and Pharisees. You see, the scribes and Pharisees would use euphemisms. A euphemism is a substitute word. They would use euphemisms that made people think they were vowing by God, but they weren't really. So they would say, now, now we, we don't want to say we swear by God because we want to be reverent to him. We want to have reverence for the name of God. But that had nothing to do with why they were not using the name of God or the word God. They were doing it because if they swore by something that was changeable, that made it okay for them to change their vow. No matter how good it looked. And so Jesus just unmasked him. He said, boys, let's just deal with this. He said, you say you swear by heaven. He said, well, when you swear by heaven, you're swearing by God. Because it's his throne and it would not be heaven if he were not there. And then to get out of saying you're swearing by God, you say you swear by the earth. Well, to swear by the earth is to swear by God because earth is his footstool and he controls everything that happens on this earth. To get out of saying, God is my witness, you say, I swear by Jerusalem. Jesus said, when you swear by Jerusalem, you're swearing by God because the only thing that makes a city great, it is the city of the great king. 
And then he said, now sometimes you'll say, I swear by my head. In other words, may I die if I'm not telling the truth. May I be struck dead or if I'm lying, I'm dying. That type of thing. He says, wait a minute. You're swearing by your own head? You don't have any control over your life. You can't even change one of your hairs, white or black. You, you don't have power to this. So, so when you are swearing by your life, you are swearing by God. Because he's the only one that controls life. So Jesus said, now here's what you need to do. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. And if you need anything else than that to help you tell the truth, it is evil. Now, not if somebody else wants it. Not if there's some situation where it might be helpful to somebody else. But for you yourself, if you're going to be more honest, if you say, I swear before God. Are you going to be more honest? I swear on my mother's grave. Are you? Jesus is saying, that's a sin. You should not have to have anything more to make you more honest than yes, no. Now, this was a huge problem in Jesus' day. Paul the Apostle later says, put away lying to the people of Ephesus. Put away lying and speak truth one to another. This, this problem just haunted the early believers because lying was accepted as normal behavior in the ancient world. The king Darius who's a very great king. Darius said, if a lie is profitable to you, tell it. Plato, one of the greatest philosophers that we all still study, Plato said, a lie is a good thing when told at just the right time. Maximus Tyrius, the great Roman, he said, there is nothing uh, advantageous in truth unless it's profitable. If a lie will help you, lie. If the truth will hurt you, don't tell it. Now, this is still true in most of the world. One reason Americans have such trouble travel often, we do not realize that lying is an acceptable part of most cultures in the world. In fact, in most cultures, if somebody tells you a lie, and you get cheated, it's your fault because you didn't check out their story. Lying is a part of the culture. That's what they do. That's a very common thing in our culture among lost people. And unfortunately, it's a very common thing among saved people too. Sometimes, sometimes I can relate to Diogenes. Remember the ancient philosopher who would walk the streets of Athens and he'd hold up a lantern and he'd put it right up to somebody's face. They thought he was insane. And he'd say, what are you doing? He'd say, I'm looking for an honest man. He'd walk down the street, found another person right in their face. I'm looking for an honest man. We sometimes feel it is so rare. I, after I retired a year and a half ago, I decided as a project, I felt I needed some project, something to keep my mind occupied. I've had two interims, which I've loved. And I decided I'd read a biography of every president. I'm up to the president number 39. I mean, I'm reading major biographies, Pulitzers. I mean, the big, big deals, not these little bitty uh, kindergarten books. I mean, I'm reading a big deal. The greatest tragedy of them all is the story of Richard Nixon. I grew up worshiping Richard Nixon. To those of us in our formative years, 
As a teenager, I thought he was the greatest thing that ever happened in the United States. I felt he was a wonderful man. I stayed with him. I stayed true blue. I believed in him. And then the Watergate thing happened. And for two years, every day, in some way or another, he would say, I had nothing to do with it. I never tried to cover it up. And I believed him every day for two years. And then the courts required him to release the tapes of his conversations. And we all found out at the same time, all of us together, that within one week, within one week of the break-in, he had already told his staff to do everything they could to undercut the FBI, to use the CIA, to force them of everything that they could do, push them as far as they could within one week. So for two years, he lied to us every day. And one of, the, one of the greatest tragedies of my life was to watch Richard Nixon come down in disgrace because of lying. One thing that taught me as a young man was that lying is never a minor matter. Dishonesty is very serious. The Bible says lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. And the Lord, when Jesus brought in a new righteousness, he brought a new day. The Lord said, let us make sure we understand the ground rules here. So when Ananias and Sapphira came in before Peter and lied about the amount that they'd sold the property for and claimed to be giving everything to God when they really weren't, God struck them dead. That we might never forget how serious it is to lie. Let me tell you how bad it is. Every disease in all the world, every sickness, every case of abuse, every bad thing that has happened in this world is a result of one lie. Adam and Eve believe Satan's lie about God. And every problem, every trouble, Everything that's happened was because of one lie. It is not a minor matter. In fact, sin is such a big deal that if you understand it, I mean, lying is such a big deal. If you understand it, you'll begin to understand the true essence of evil. And maybe there is no sin that we commit that we get so little from in return except something that makes us feel good about ourselves by understanding lying we understand sin sin is where self wants what it wants no matter what and so why do we lie we lie because we want to be thought highly of to be praised to be the center of attention to be important to protect the image of ourselves that we want people to believe. Lying is the facade, the camouflage, so that we can appear to be something that we're not. In fact, it is so much a part of our lives. It, it is so essential to sin. Lying is so evil and pernicious. We have mastered being creative in the ways we lie. Betraying a confidence. Excessive flattery, making excuses, cheating in school, 
falsifying income tax returns, whispering a rumor carelessly in some corner among combustibles, breaking promises, statements made to mislead, not paying our debts on time. Now, brothers and sisters, Jesus was saying these things ought not to be. Others may say that it's okay, that the believer never has that option. We, we stumble into sin. We're all liars. We all do things. We all know that. We understand who we are and what we are. We stumble into it, and it hurts us. It breaks our heart. The person who really needs to be afraid is the habitual liar. If you know someone who habitually lies, you probably know someone who does not know Jesus. In every part of life, in the way you live, the way you exude yourself, everything, in every part of life, the Christian should portray truth. This is the only adequate response to the righteousness that is greater than the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees. The Bible says that God is righteous. May I use a euphemism, a substitute word? He's right. An enemy has a rightness about him. There's a way about him. It's rightness. And when you become a Christ follower, his nature, his rightness, righteousness, is put in you. And then as you live the Christian life, you depend on him, you pray to him, and you say, Lord, you are here. Your rightness is here. Now, would you let your rightness come out in me? We don't ever try to do this on our own. We, can't, we cannot do this on our own strength. We're, we're not able to just grit our teeth and say, we're on to do this. No, that's what the scribes and Pharisees did. No, we have a righteousness greater than us, and our righteousness is one where we totally depend on the Father for his strength. Our God, the Bible says, is a God of truth. The Bible says he's not a man that he should lie. The Bible says it is impossible for God to lie. And and since this is a trait of God, since it is a trait of God that he never lies, that means it must be something really beautiful because he is a beautiful God. And every trait that he has is beautiful. Therefore, if that trait can come through in me, it makes for a beautiful existence, a beautiful behavior. My family has lived for a hundred years in the shadow of a great story of honesty. To be exact, it's 98 years ago, 1921. The Marshals in mass migrated from West Tennessee into Northeast Arkansas. A huge lumber company had cut down all the trees of Northeast Arkansas. And they were allowing people to migrate in. You could have the land if you'd come and clear the new ground. Take all the tree trunks out, some of the hardest work in the world. But if you'd come clear the land and give them a percentage of your crops, for a few years you would own the land. And so all the marshals came, they left West Tennessee, and they landed in northeast Arkansas. They'd not been there very long until one morning one of the in-laws named Ed Hill, with two D's, spelled two D's, E-D-D, Ed Hill. Ed Hill told his wife, what he's going to do, and he disappeared. And nobody except Aunt Pearl, his wife, knew what he had done. He'd gotten up one day, and he told his wife, he said, when we left West Tennessee, there was one man 
that we owed money to. And he said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to work for him until the family debt is paid. Now it's 98 years later and our family still lives under the story of a man who left his wife and his daughter to go back and pay a debt. One of my favorite stories is the story that the Methodist pastor Clovis G. Chapel loved to tell about honesty. He would tell the story about a, a, a preacher who lived in the frontier days. And he had poor health and finally just had to give it up and he would starve to death. But he had a, a farmer in his church who was pretty well to do. And so the farmer hired him to let him do little things around so he could make a living. And one day the farmer sent this minister to the bank to get payroll. And so he got $5,000. He was his mules and his wagons. He was coming back to the farm from the, the bank with $5,000. And a man suddenly rode up to him, stuck a gun out and said, I want the money. And the old preacher said, these two mules in my good name are all I have left to give my sons. If you want this money bad enough to murder me, go ahead and shoot, because you will get it no other way. What a beautiful thing. A wonderful and lovely thing. A righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Their righteousness cold, legalistic, obey the rules, grit your teeth. Instead of a righteousness that says, I want your beauty to flow through me. I want the righteousness that you give, but then that you can push out and affect my life. Okay. I think that's enough for today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.